Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! <laughs> if there's uh, one lesson that found footage films have taught us, Bennett's that we, we do not go into the woods today. That big surprise that you Well, not without a video camera, anyway. <laughs> the, the big surprise you might be in for, you know, might be the fucking Blair Witch or some kind of Boggy Creek Sasquatch with arse on its mind. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing anyway, mate? I'm doing really well. How's your week been? Pretty good, actually. Like, I had a surprising week this week. Why is that? I, uh, <laughs> just after we recorded last week's show... I uh, I took a, a little bit of advice from uh, Jarrett, yep, uh, who had pre- just written an How article. How many times about have I told it. you not to do that? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> he'd uh, written this article on um, the Monster Fest website about this place, Dead End DVD, uh, and the, it's a website. It's a DVD. It's a DVD import mm. website located here in Australia, uh, and but he actually has a physical shop down in Mornington. Uh, that's open on Saturdays. So I went down there just to see mm-hmm. what the deal was. Because I used to manage DVD collection in the city. Like I know about the I know about the import trade. <laughs> um, but I thought I went to check it out. And I met Joel, the guy who runs it. And fuck me dead. I blew like $380 on import Blu-rays because the prices are so ridiculously good. <laughs> like they're like Amazon Zavi prices without the shipping. It was amazing. It was like, love at first sight. It was love at first sight. Like I, <laughs> I bought uh, I bought Dark Star, the John Carpenter movie on uh-huh. Blu-ray, which I didn't even know had come out on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I bought former former uh, Good Movie Monday guest Mark Savage's uh, Masturbating Gunman. <laughs> Excellent. Got to check that out. I picked up a couple of Vinegar Syndrome titles and a couple of 4Ks, Maniac Cop two and three, and uh, Dead and Buried. I also grabbed uh, for me, which uh, nah. I may talk about next week's show, but one of the uns- one of my few unseen Jim Wynorski films is Sorceress. Incredible. I've seen the I've seen the one that he wrote for Jack Hill, but I haven't seen the one he directed much later with Julie Strain and I think Linda Blair. Um, did I mention I picked up uh, the Severance Severance weirdest release of Overboard, the Kurt Russell Golly Hall and <laughs> Overboard? I've got to have that on Blu-ray. Like, you do, <laughs> you do, and it was like it was totally fantastic. And like the website is great. He's got a lot of stuff. The prices are great. So I definitely recommend checking it out if your uh, if your taste turns to films that are not are not for whatever reason available here in Australia. Nice little impromptu plug there, my friend. Yeah, well, you know, got to support the. Got to support the team. Hey, I'm all for it. I appreciate that. I'll, I'm going to head down there myself at some point. But um, we should we should do the uh, <laughs> the official welcome. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> welcome to Good Movie Monday, uh, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net, home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, and if anybody finds my lost uh, footage, uh, this might be my last show.
I just want you to know it's been a pleasure chatting with you every week. (laughs) And of course, my co-host is Ben Helwig, whose found footage lies somewhere deep down in the murky bowels of the dark web. How are you, mate? Good. I've told you, (laughs) if anything happens to me, you have to go to my house and wipe my internet search history. (laughs) I come packing magnets, mate. Yeah. (laughs) And then you smash the hard drives with a baseball bat, and then you hire a boat... You go out to the middle of the ocean and you drop them in because that's the only way to stop the government from learning my secrets. <laughs> I tell you what, if that footage of me eating an entire jar of Nutella at 3am, <laughs> naked in the kitchen, ever surfaces, there's going to be hell to pay. <laughs> you know what footage I would hate to be found? What's that? Outtakes from uh, Mr. Ukasar's TikTok account. You know, the guy that puts crockery on his cock and then pulls the tablecloth out? Oospy. Is that what it is? <laughs> Oopsie. Can you imagine the outtakes? He Sometimes he puts them up when oh. they when they fail. There seems to be a lot of ball torture going on. <laughs> <laughs> he has become, he and uh, I think it's uh, Homo Macabre are my two, now my two favorite Instagram channels. Like what. the Homer Macabre guy just posts like these weird, like the the dramatic in-between porn scenes from gay porn movies. And it, like the excuses that they come up with to get into the porn, it, it's fascinating. Well, I mean, if, there's, if there is one reason to get on TikTok, it's for that guy anyway. So Totally. <laughs> well, in case you're stupid or something and didn't pick up on it, <laughs> this week is all about found footage movies. Those super low budget films shot on hand- handheld devices from... POV perspectives, is that... Yeah, you fucking idiots. <laughs> I thought you'd pick up on that. Uh, they're generally under the pretense of evidence and, you know, to, to really give the show some gravitas, we're going to be speaking to Enzo Tedeschi. Is that how you pronounce his name? I thought it was Tedeschi, but I could be I've wrong. been worried about that. <laughs> He's one of the creatives behind the tunnel. We actually did not ask it. It's it's the first interview that I've ever uh, been in there with you. Yeah. And usually, when we've done uh, other stuff that not interviews for the show, but other things that we've recorded, I always ask them beforehand, how do I pronounce your surname? So I don't fuck it up. And I did not do it with Enzo. No, because what I do is I tell them, we're going to introduce you before the recording. So we don't need to, we don't need to go through that right now. (laughs) But then, yeah, because if you... Because I'll say, hey, Enzo, how you doing? <laughs> Every now and then when I forget, I will jump on Google and look up someone's name and look at the like the Wikipedia pronunciation yeah. thing. And you're like, you gotta be I, careful. Don't, I don't know how to read those things. <laughs> like They use these symbols and stuff, which I'm sure mean something to linguists. I, but to me, it just looks like italics. I go looking for interviews on YouTube. And then, oh, and then sometimes like there's like four different pronunciations. And it <laughs> makes it even worse. <laughs> but The Tunnel, uh, it's a totally scary film that ranks very highly on my list of best Aussie horror movies in general. Um, and that's one of the many films that Enzo is behind. And other ones include uh, the biological terror movie Event Zero, which he directed, and our old mate Matthew C. Vaughan wrote that one. Yeah. That surprised me. Which is, oh, it doesn't, it didn't surprise me that Matthew, I remember at the time yeah. when Matthew was doing it. And uh, I think we played it uh, at Monsterfest in, in Brisbane, yeah. I believe. Um, but I didn't know that Enzo had anything to do with it. There you go. Like, that's what surprised me. Oh, well, there you go. We both come at that from completely different perspectives, yeah. and we met in the middle. Yeah. You know, kind of sweet. <laughs> then we kiss. <laughs> oh, I don't want to say the next thing uh, after you said that, because <laughs> he's also behind the two movies, Skinfold. <laughs> Skinford. 
<laughs> skin, what is it? Skin fed. Skin fed. I believe. Oh. Not skin fold. Do you want to go back and start the whole show again? <laughs> yeah. No, I like it when you screw up. It's my favourite part. Okay. Makes me feel. Uh, makes me feel human. So today we're going to focus on the tunnel because it turns ten. ten. Exactly. And Monster Fest also turns ten. It does indeed. And uh, and we're playing it along year, with the making year, of Doctor. That's right. This year they come together. That's right. It's all it's all happening at Monster Fest this year. Just like us. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, don't know what that means. Well, we come together. Oh, at Monsterfest, <laughs> front row, baby. That's where you see us sitting together at Monsterfest. <laughs> don't come a knocking when the front two rows are rocking. I hope you're in your Santa suit. <laughs> be wearing a Santa onesie with, but with the. I'll be wearing it backwards, so the the the, the bum drawer is at the front. For easy for easy access. Oh, I hope you bring bagels, mate. There's uh, <laughs> <laughs> only one person on the planet who'll understand that. Uh, stick around because it is a fun show. We have the weekly segments from Jarrett Garn, Guillermo Troncoso, Chloe Ritchie, Adam Ross, and the guys from Bonehead Weekly. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Now, things we do and places we are. This is where I talk about social media. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought this was like a new segment for the show. That uh, I had not prepared for. I don't know where people listen to us from, but we are on just about every podcast platform. But we're also on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram, in case you didn't uh, already know. That's where you can find videos and all kinds of content. Um, We don't do any of that Patreon nonsense. So uh, we produce a ton of bonus content for free. Unlike others that charge you. Now who's the fucking idiots? Uh, yeah, so every week lots of videos and then there's some uh, extra flow-on chats from the show and reaction videos and uh, random conversations, late-night musings with hot coffee and we do lots. We do lots. I did actually notice I went to the uh, to the Fake Shemp website this week for yep. shits and giggles and I did I noticed the tip jar. Yeah. So that's there. It's on the wrong website. It's on the wrong website, <laughs> but it's there and I, you know, like everyone else, I did not tip. <laughs> When I first put that on there, we got a nice juicy two hundred dollar tip. Oh, lovely! And was a it? few little dribs and drabs. Yeah. Then your mum said, "Make it on your own." <laughs> so I'm sick of supporting you, Glenn. Off you go, boys. <laughs> she gave you two hundred dollars, slapped your ass, and sent you out into the world. <laughs> hey, we also have Letterbox, though, Ben. You know all about that. I do. Sometimes I even update it for the benefit of people listening that don't know what Letterbox is. It's just like a movie review site. It's a movie tracking site. I used to use it primarily to keep track of the new movies I watched. So at the end of the year when you go, hey, Ben, what's the uh, what's your top 10 movies of 2000 whatever? <laughs> and I, and normally I'd go, oh, I don't remember what I did last week. Alone, <laughs> and then have a stroke. Uh, I can go back <laughs> to this list and go, ah... It was, I can't think of a title to put in there. That was a, <laughs> there it, it is, a Knife Plus Heart. <laughs> or uh But we cemetery. are on that platform, so Letterbox, without an E, it's like Letterbox. Letterbox duh. Yes, dot com forward slash good movie Monday. And for all you pesky Gen Zs out there, we're on TikTok as well. You know, for the short attention spans, there's nice uh, 30 second clips from some of the memorable moments of the show. <laughs> Horrifying. Uh, Horrifying moments. I hate it. Do not go to TikTok. We're new to spiffy things and we do love the engagement. So find us on all those places. Except TikTok. Don't go to TikTok. There's a lot of me singing and nobody, <laughs> nobody needs to see that. If it's 15 seconds, it's 15 seconds too long. Possibly the best promotion you've ever done. <laughs> Worth your weight in gold, mate. Yeah. Monster Fest. Um, all right. 
How are those tidy whities holding up? Oh, they're... Uh... <laughs> Well, let's just say they're not as white as they once were <laughs> and leave it at that. It is getting close and I'm not talking about the festival. It is getting <laughs> close. Yeah, t- touching cloth, <laughs> as they say. The turtle is poking its head out and I'm telling it, no, got to wait a few more minutes. <laughs> so Monster Fest is um, on from December the 2nd through to the 12th and people can go to the Monster Fest website, look up the program, get tickets. But we're doing some exclusive and exciting Monster Fest related stuff of our own on this show over the next coming week. Um, this week, in fact, we're going to be um, dropping every night some kind of video talking to filmmakers that are on the program, we're going to be talking about their favourite films and we're going to be you know, picking their brains. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. Definitely worth checking out and uh, hopefully you like what you hear and then immediately go out and buy a ticket to their movie. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now, it's a sad week for home entertainment as there's only three films coming out on home entertainment and those three films are only getting DVD releases. But if you knew the titles, you'd understand. None of the three films have any particular profile and none of them really necessitate a Blu-ray release. It is sad though, because in this day and age, you would hope that you know most films would only get released on Blu-ray and not necessarily on DVD. But the sad reality is DVD has had deeper market penetration than Blu-ray. Yes, a format that was introduced three decades ago uh, continues to sell more than Blu-ray or 4K combined. So that's the sad reality of things here locally in Australia for the physical media market. But at the end of the day, look, if people are still buying DVDs, they're still buying physical media, so I still give them a thumbs up. In any case, I'm not really going to talk about any of the three films, but I will just mention that one of them is called Pumps Alone, and it stars Dolph Lundgren, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Jerry O'Connell, and the artwork looks like a Photoshop disaster, so jump on Google and type in Pumps Alone uh, just for a little lull at home. Anyway, let's talk about something exciting. Let's talk about 2022. Let's talk about January February 2022 and what we have to look forward to. First up, Halloween Kills is coming out in 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD on January 12th. Whether you liked it or you loathed it, I was in the loathing camp. I did not enjoy this movie. I am excited to check out the home entertainment release as there's rumoured to be an extended cut of the film and I'm excited to see what they could have added and hopefully what they've subtracted from the film. I've hoping, I'm just, just hoping that they've removed um, about 100 instances of the word evil dies tonight being chanted but I'm hoping that they might add a little bit more story to the film because I think that was sorely what was lacking moving on on that very same date on January 12th from Warner Citizen Kane is getting released on 4k Ultra HD which is exciting news obviously it's getting released in the US through Criterion and in the UK through Warner it's actually coming out uh, in December in the UK through Warner but January 12th locally Citizen Kane very excited for that on 4k Ultra HD then on January 26th if there was a way to celebrate Australia Day then it is by picking up this British spy film uh, 007's No Time to Die is coming out in 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and DVD on January 26th. You'll be able to snap that sucker up. So from Umbrella, we've got Cozzy joining the Sunburnt Screens lineup. So this is its Blu-ray debut locally. I can't wait. I love Cozzy. I think it's a fantastic film. It's got such a great cast. Ben Mendelsohn, Tony Collette, David Wenham, um, Bruce Spence, God, Jackie Weaver, the list goes on. Oh, actually, no, Bruce Spence is not in this movie. I was thinking of Barry Otto. Barry Otto. But anyway, it is terrific. 
Uh, then Puberty Blues is coming out on Blu-ray that very same day. This has been on a Blu-ray before, but this I believe to be a new scan and with some new special features, and it's joining the Sunburnt Screen series on January 19th, so the same date as Cozzy. Then February 2nd, get excited because Umbrella are gonna be releasing Death Cheaters on Blu-ray as part of their Ozbluitation Classics line. And like Stunt Rock, this one's gonna come with a mini comic book also. Then from Warner, Malignant, James Wan's Malignant comes out. This was a film that received a bit of a mixed reaction from audiences when it opened theatrically. Personally, I dug it. I thought it was really off the wall fun. Uh, that's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD on February 2nd. So some things to look forward to in 2022. Some things in HD, in fact, to look forward to in Ultra HD even. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next time, stay physical. Found footage films, Ben. This is such a frustrating genre for me because... Um, I say that I don't like them all the time. I really don't like found footage movies. Even now, like talking about, I don't really like them, but then I'm constantly proven wrong. Like there's some really yeah. fucking good ones. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm hundred percent the same. Like I started working in the film business in about 2010. And by that point we were already told by our sales agents, no found footage. Like, <laughs> like I worked for, I worked for Monster Pictures and we were a budget uh, friendly horror label. Yep. And we were told pretty much like, just stay away from the fan <laughs> footage. We only actually released a couple. Yep. Um, because it's done. It's over. No one, the, the JB Hi-Fi don't want them. The <laughs> easy DVD don't want them. Like the video libraries don't want them. The thing is just don't bother. And I was like, that's fine with me because I don't really care for them and I don't want to have to particularly watch them. Yet, Every time I do watch one, yep. I'm like, that was really fucking good. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The one thing about them, though, is that I rarely, if ever, want to see them at a cinema. Like Movies like The Blair Witch Project, for example, being that you know that's the granddaddy of them all, yeah. you know, they're presented as evidence or archival footage, and they're best viewed on the television the way that, say, the police viewing that footage for the first time would. Yeah. And so, like, I never saw the appeal of going to the cinemas to see them, yet I've been to the cinemas to see some, and it's probably the better environment to scare the shit out of you. Oh, well, see, I was going to say the opposite. Like, the, I remember the first time I played that game Silent Hill on PlayStation, Yeah, and it was, like, 2 o'clock in the morning, pitch black, completely silent, and I'm shitting myself every time that radio makes the crackle. And that's exactly how I like to watch a fan footage movie, like, preferably on a CRT. Yep kind of TV, like almost sitting at a desk rather than even sitting in the lounge room kind of thing. And I like it to be that experience of, you know, like I just found this camera in uh, in the local tip and there was a tape in it mm-hmm. and I wanted to stick it on and see what's on there. Yeah. That's kind of how I, because you, and I do think that that brings home, definitely brings home the kind of rawness and immediacy of the, of the, the genre. That is my ultimate sort of sentiment, you know, which is what I was just saying. But now I think there's so many high concept films that have come into the market with found footage, like your Cloverfields and, you know, whatnot, <coughs> that some of them on the big screen definitely translate better. But um, yeah. anyway, before we do this, can we, can we go back a little bit just to get a sense of some of the earliest found footage movies? And I guess sort of the term itself has evolved over the years, sort of from actual found footage, you know, to more of like your surveillance and point of view kind of movies yeah um monster fest are also screening i might say the found footage phenomenon which i haven't seen yet and i assume that that traces back through some of the ones i'm going to talk about here 
But Most likely. In I my know, mind. I don't know what you're going to talk about, so I can't give you a definitive Well, yes here we go. It. In my mind, one of the earliest, um, almost 10 years before Cannibal Holocaust, was The Legend of Boggy Creek. Yeah. Which is part found footage, part docudrama. And I don't know, like, it's got lots of interviews and media reports, but then it does cut to, you know, the footage from the whatever bloody kind of camera they had at the time. And I, 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 yeah, which, I mean, that's the thing that kind of, I've, that does kind of freak me out. Like, at least... Cannibal Holocaust, it's like a, they've got like an eight millimeter cameras or 16 mil, whatever they are, but they're film. Yeah. And you're like, what were they using? I suppose it was the same because the beauty of cinema back then was the technology did not change from like the, you know, the thirties up until the, till the, until video yep. in the eighties. Yep. So, you know, it could have been the same, I suppose. <laughs> Don't know. But, um, you know, the Blair Witch, um, director, Daniel Myrick, is that how you pronounce his name? He cites Boggy Creek as one of the most major influences for yeah, Blair right. Witch, you know. So I'm a, I'm a big fan. I think that would have to be in my mind the first found footage. Yeah, so I've, I haven't actually seen it. I didn't. I and certainly I was not aware of the timeline. For me, I thought it was Cannibal Holocaust was yeah. like the first kind of big one, and that's the one that I associate with found footage, like that Blair Witch and probably Wreck are the three that I associate most strongly yeah. with. Well, you know what found footage. That- that kind of goes in with the found footage theme because they are f- based on footage that's been found. Whereas yeah. Boggy Creek is more like a news report type of thing. Yeah. You know, and here's some footage we've got, you know. Which is funny because I did mention that um, one, of the, one of the interviews that we're going to drop later this week is with uh, Sarah Appleton and Phil mm-hmm. Escott, the directors of the found footage phenomenon. And I think I did mention that. Uh, uh, was it with them or was it with Enzo that in today's interview that the tunnel combined the interviews and yeah, the, the tunnel. The tunnel does combine interviews and the found footage. Yep. And I hadn't seen that before. Mm. And of course, looks like I was just making an ass out of myself because the very first found footage from is exactly that. <laughs> and it was done, you know, thirty years prior. A long time ago. But um so let's reveal our first recommendations. I'll go first. Actually no, you go first. Okay. I'll go first. Yeah. No, I just had a th- yeah, I had a thought. Brain fart, you go. Okay. <laughs> I can smell it from here. <laughs> it's like somebody's cooking an egg on a paint tin in the in the desert. It's not the horse. <laughs> uh, is this the only time that found footage and Caddyshack two references have ever been uh, in the same? I will, I will endeavour to, to incorporate wherever possible. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first film I want to talk about is one that I only watched recently, and I watched it because of watching the fan footage phenomenon and talking to its directors. And I, was, I thought it, this was the movie that uh, I think Sarah was uh, kind of most upset at watching, having to, wa- to watch, to even to pick up the clips yep. for. And it's Megan is Missing from 2011. It is a fascinating, it's a, there's a fascinating genesis to this project. So it's directed by this guy, Michael Goy, who prior to this, and I think this is actually not his first film, it's his second film, but prior to this, he was basically a cinematographer. Mm. Um. And he worked on a lot of films, funnily enough, that I have seen. Uh, films like Vampire Centerfolds, uh, Sorority House Vampires, Forbidden Sins with uh, uh, Shannon Tweed, uh, The Awakening of Gabriella. Uh, so all sorts, lots of kind of softcore <laughs> erotica, which, you know, it does actually go hand in hand with low budget horror. Yeah, yeah. Like they are kind of twin genres, I like to think. Um, and he's since kind of graduated. He's like big into TV now. He does like The Mentalist and My Name Is Earl and Glee and American Horror Story is a big one. Yep. But um, he, the first film he directed was The Voyeur with Sean O'Brien and Lucy McComas, which sounds fascinating, which I do have to track down. 
but then he did Megan is Missing in, and it was actually shot in 2006, mm. but it took until 2011 before Anchor Bay picked it up wow. and released it. And they released it as a kind of as an educational film. That kind of works though. It's a found footage film. It <laughs> is. Yeah, it totally is. And basically, I kind of liken this film to, it's the found footage version of kids. <laughs> like it is, it, is, it is horrifying. And a lot of the kind of reviews that came out of the time were that it was like traumatizing. And it totally is. It's like these two girls, um, Megan, of course, Played by Rachel Quinn and uh, her kind of best, her kind of dowdy best friend Amy, and like Megan is kind of super popular, but also an A grade student. She's got a she's got a pretty kind of nasty home life and um, mm. and stuff. But they and this is like this is so this is two thousand six. So it's the early days of the internet, and she kind of you know gets introduced online to this guy uh, from a, a nearby who's apparently from a nearby school. I so want to see this already. <clears throat> it's. It's, it's, it really is kind of disturbing. Like yep. she gets, and there is, before that, there's, it's all, it's all cause it is made up of, um, news footage, um, home videos, kind of webcam or, or early kind of webcammy type stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, blogs like diary kind of mm-hmm. entries and stuff like that. It's like a, this kind of mixed media type thing. Um, and so you do get to see her doing all the normal, they're yeah. 14, but they're doing some pretty kind of adult stuff, very much in the same vein as kids. Yeah. And then she meets this guy, I think his name is Josh, who funnily enough, the guy who plays this character, Josh is an Aussie, mm. uh, Dean Waite. She kind of gets introduced to him and she's, he's like, you know, despite these kind of red flags that come up, like his webcam doesn't work. So he, she can never see his face yeah, and all this yeah. kind of stuff, you know, um, she does kind of, she agrees to meet up with him at this party and he's a no-show and so she gets super upset with him and he explains that he's just shy but he can tell her what she was wearing and all this kind of stuff and then, you know, so then they agree to meet up again and then she disappears. Yeah, right. And then her her best friend Amy, like, goes to the police and says, oh, there's this guy Josh that she's talking to online and she starts mm. publicising it and then next thing you know, she disappears. Yeah, right. And then it's this the the footage of the search and stuff, and then you get to see like she's making a oh man yep. there's it's and it's incredibly I wanna, nasty. I, I definitely want to see it. It's very full. On, it's very kind of graphic. It's very confronting, and it's very very nasty. And for that time when it was made, two thousand six, you said like it yeah. it plays into that internet stranger danger fear that was real and palpable with parents at the time. Yeah, totally. Oh, mate, and it. Like the thing is, the thing that's most amazing is he made it for thirty five grand over like two weeks. Yeah, he had like a five person crew, and and I guess it is the nature of the of the film. But I love those stories. It is full, of, and it's banned in New Zealand. If that's not an added incentive, <laughs> I don't know what is. It's going to add uh, to my list, that's for sure. Um, my first recommendation is a Canadian film from two thousand eleven called Grave Encounters. Uh, yeah, and right. it, it yeah it plays into one of horror's most popular tropes and that's the abandoned lunatic asylum and it was directed by um, <laughs> I hate saying this it was directed by the Vicious Brothers which is possibly the wankiest thing I've ever heard <laughs> they're not real brothers they're just horror nuts is it like the Dark Brothers oh gosh well these guys have made a few things over the years um, and and they're in line to do the new Urban Legend reboot oh right so there you know go. they're gonna be you're gonna hear about the Vicious Brothers <laughs> yeah. I like or as long as they stick with it. But the film is about a TV crew from a paranormal ghost hunting show, which in America these things are massive. You know, there's paranormal shows everywhere, and they venture into a notorious asylum to find out whether it really is haunted, 
um, you know, and being a TV show, it's all fake. So you see them setting things up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But naturally, the real horror begins when it turns out to be haunted. And they do a lockdown overnight um, and there's no getting out until 6am. So once the hauntings begin, they're trapped and there's nothing they can do. And look, it's the fact that it's shot entirely in pitch black um, with a lot of that night vision kind of the stuff, night look, yeah. which, you know, when your eyes are in night vision, it looks creepy enough as it is. Um, I think they captured something really genuinely scary. I do think it forces the horror a little bit too much, but not so much that I don't love it as like one of my sort yeah. of top tier found footage films. The funny thing is, is that we looked at it. We looked at it for picking it up to distribute, but we ended up saying no because we had just picked up this other film called The Art. Uh, called Entity, which is actually one of the better Monster Pictures yeah. uh, films, but it tanked. Like, it, no one gave a shit dis- despite its quality, and it is exactly the, it's, it's exactly the kind of same, very similar, except this one's at a, a Russian um, kind of science lab in the middle of um, Chernobyl or wherever the hell it is, like, um, or Siberia. It's yeah. like a super remote yep. kind of location. Um and it just, we just were in the, we were in our very early days. So we weren't, we weren't on top of the marketing kind of side of things sure. and it just tanked, but we saw Grave Encounters yeah. and the sales, the sales agent was really, really pumping it up. And we're like, it did pretty well in the States. Yeah. Um, I do think that, like I said, it's a bit forced when the horror really takes hold, they should have restrained themselves and just let the atmosphere be scary. But you know, they pushed that horror a bit too far, but you know, that's not to diminish its effectiveness. It's just really good. I highly recommend it. Um, I think it's pretty easy to come by these days, whether you so. buy it on you know some kind of online trading site or even YouTube, maybe. I have no idea, but check it out, Grave Encounters. There's a part two as well and rumored to be a part three in the works. Oh, lovely. What's happening, everybody? Happy to be back on Good Movie Monday. Guillermo here from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. As always, here to tell you a little bit about what we've covered on the website in the past week. Kicking off with Leonardo DiCaprio signs up to play cult leader Jim Jones. DiCaprio is in final talks to play Jim Jones, the infamous religious cult leader who, in 1978, ordered a mass murder-suicide that saw the deaths of over 900 members, including hundreds of children. MGM has picked up this project, which is just titled Jim Jones, which comes with a screenplay by Venom, Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, and High Fidelity scribe Scott Rosenberg. Rosenberg is also on board as executive producer, with DiCaprio on board to star and produce via his Apian Way production banner. Still no director name for this one, although you can expect one to be announced soon now that MGM has grabbed it. Tom Hardy and Channing Tatum will be starring in a film set during the chaotic Afghanistan evacuation of troops that occurred this past August. Universal Pictures acquired the project, which came as a pitch from George Nolfi, whose screenwriting credits include The Bourne Ultimatum, The Adjustment Bureau, Ocean's 12, and The Banker. Nolfi will be on board as executive producer with Tatum and Hardy among the producers. Deadline broke the news reporting that the still untitled project is based on some of the true stories coming from the troubling events in Afghanistan this year. The plot will focus on three former Special Forces team members who jumped back into the fray alongside their Afghan counterparts to rescue families and allies left behind amid the rapid fall of Afghanistan. No director has been named as yet. A Luther movie is now being filmed after five seasons, the last of which aired back in January of 2019. Idris Elba is back as DCI John Luther in a feature film. Production has officially begun on the film, being directed by Jane Payne, who helmed four episodes of the series. The screenplay comes from Luther creator Neil Cross. You can jump on Screen Realm to check out a couple of the images that Idris Elba shared from the set. The feature is being described by Netflix as an epic continuation of the Luther saga reimagined for film. 
The cast also includes Cynthia Erivo and Andy Serkis, although there's still no word on who they'll be playing, and Dermot Crowley is reprising his series role as Martin Schenk. In case you didn't know, the BBC drama that kicked off in 2010 had Elba in an award-winning turn as John Luther, a dedicated, obsessive, possessed, and sometimes violent police officer who is often consumed by the darkness of the crimes he investigates. I'm a big fan of the series, so I can't wait to see what they do with the movie. Next up, Jason Momoa and Dave Bautista are going to be starring in a comedy action film based on an idea by Momoa, Bautista, and Jonathan Tropper, creator of series Warrior and co-creator of Banshee. No plot details to go on as of yet, although we do know that the film will be a Lethal Weapon-esque buddy cop comedy and it'll likely be filmed in Hawaii. Bautista and Momoa, buddies in real life, recently start together in Dune, although they didn't have any actual scenes together, and they go head to head on the Apple series C. Ben Stiller is set to direct The Champions, an adaptation of the 1960s British TV series of the same name. Stiller is on board to also star in the film, which will also star Aussie Oscar winner Kate Blanchett. The Champions tells the story of a plane that's carrying three UN agents and it crashes in the Himalayas. The agents are then rescued by an advanced civilization that's been secretly living in Tibet. The civilization then gives these three agents enhanced intellectual and physical abilities, so when they return home, they use their new superhuman powers to become the champions of law, order, and justice. That about does it for me, guys. Thanks so much for having me once again. ScreenRealm.com for all your latest movie and TV news and reviews, all that jazz. Oh, be sure to jump on the website to check out my review of No Time to Die, and also check it out on YouTube as well. ScreenRealm.com. Catch you next week.
Dosed in My Head by Scissor House from the Unfriended soundtrack. And that kind of plays into what your last film was all about because there's that um, there's that that genre that sort of subverted the found footage and that is the sort of the dark web webcam type of found footage movies. Yeah, the social, which, me- social media horror. Yeah, so yours would have been one of the earlier ones. Um, but then you had stuff like, um, well, for example, Unfriended, but Searching was a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, Cyber Bully was a good one with Maisie Williams so I kind of like that genre but I think I've said on the show before when I did my original review for Unfriended I said how good this was how I love that it subverts the genre but let it be the only one like yeah. let us not have a hundred of them in its wake and, and we certainly have I mean I think that is that is the biggest kind of pitfall that has befallen the found footage genre because it is a, a genre that allows you to work with minimal budget minimal crew minimal cast and you can make a good film yeah and which means that a lot of people have made them yeah. and a lot of people have made bad ones. <laughs> well, and given how good like iPhone, iPhones are now, the cameras on those are like, yeah. you know, cinematic, there's definitely opportunity for people to do this kind of stuff. And I just won't be lining up to watch many of them. <laughs> yeah. I'll let, I'll let other people decide if they're good or not. And if they, if they give it their endorsement, then I'll just not watch it on principle for about five years. And then I'll just like, oh yeah, no, I'll give it a go now. Like after everyone's over it. <laughs> yep. Because I don't want to be—I don't want to be a follower. <laughs> I want to be one of those assholes who, like, ten years after a movie's come out, go, "Oh, have you seen this? It's fucking great." Where were you ten years ago when we were talking about it, asshole? Uh... Um, Lake Mungo is one that's had a, quite a few mentions on the show recently. Um, that's a really, really good one that I recommend. But that—that that allows us to sort of go into some Aussie found footages. I want to drop a few names here. A few of them being released by you guys at Monster. Certainly. Morehouse, which is the... Um, Muir House. Muir House, Morehouse. I think in the film they call it Morehouse. Do they? Well, it's spelt Muir House. I know. <laughs> You'd think, like, I've seen the film and I've spoken... I'm, I'm good friends with the director, <laughs> but I thought it was more, more, Muir House. Well, it's a famous place, so you know, I should know, but... Well, they're the ones who buy the most DVDs. They sell them in the gift shop at the, at the house. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, there's something in the Pelega, which um, I enjoyed that one a lot back on its um, Monster Fest screening. I've got the, the DVD, the which DVD, is nice yeah. to own. Um, what else is there? The Jungle, which I didn't like, but you guys did screen that one at Monster Andrew, Fest. Andrew Trackies at The Jungle. That's, that's a weird one because I wouldn't count that as Australian, even though it's made by an Australian filmmaker with an Australian cast, but he shot it all in like Bali or Indonesia yeah, or like, right. somewhere he was on a... On a holiday, <laughs> yeah. there's probably some more, but I reckon uh, I reckon the perfect setting for found footage movies is Australia. Like you know, could you imagine like a Wolf Creek type of story done found footage? And that's the thing. Like if you've ever gone driving in the Australian countryside, it is miles and miles of scrub, which basically translates to shitty looking nothing, <laughs> and it's incredibly easy to get lost because there's no landmarks. There's nothing. It's just a big pile of fucking bark and bull ants <laughs> and shit. Well, talking about Aussie found footage movies, that brings us to The Tunnel. This fantastic film from 2011 is celebrating its 10th anniversary, as I said earlier on, and it's screening at MonsterFest's 10th anniversary. It tells the story of a film crew who venture into the abandoned tunnels beneath Sydney in search of a rumoured government cover-up. That's as much as I'm going to say. Cause there's a I, lot of... I do like it because it actually does p- take place in metropolitan Australia. Yeah. Not. It's one of the few ones, like the all, I think the ones that we've all talked about yeah. are all remote. Out bush. Yep. Where this one is like, no, it's where you fucking live. It's under where you live. That's that's what makes it scary. And I, I, yeah, I genuinely do love this one. And um, Ben and I caught up with the writer and producer Enzo Tedeschi. Sorry, Enzo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if I'm completely wrong and you pronounce it correctly. 
So let's cut to the chase and get straight to it. G'day, Enzo. Uh, welcome to Good Movie Monday. Thanks for joining us. G'day, gents. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you're most welcome. And look, the tunnel is celebrating its, what, 10th year anniversary? Like, where the hell did that time go? Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't believe it. And um, I want to I really jump straight into the documentary, if I can. Um, yeah, sure. And just start by asking, where did this sort of documentary, how did it come about and who broached the idea in the first place? Well, I think, look, I think it's been something that's been kind of on the back of my mind for a couple of years now, just because I know that at the time um, we got so much behind the scenes footage, right? So uh, Jules, my producing partner and writing partner on the film um, and business partner at the time, um, had a, a pretty solid background in documentary filmmaking. So, and you can see it, it's hilarious in the in all the clips, like you just bug the crap out of everyone on the cast and crew at every opportune moment to get like stick a camera in their face and go, so tell me what's happening, how's it going and whatever. And most of the time it was welcome and it was a pretty fun set. I think that's one of the things that comes through in the, watching the doco back at the moment is just how much fun everybody had. But you can tell there were moments where people were like, don't, just don't bother me right now, you know? <laughs> so, so I knew we had this wealth of material and combined with the fact that um, over the last 10 years, it's the thing that everyone always wants to talk to me about. And I'm always having very similar conversations and recounting a lot of similar stories. And I thought, you know, it'd be really great to find a way to harness all of that, put it all together. And I guess in some ways come up with a, a definitive story of how we did it, what went down on set, but also um, talk to all of the distribution stuff, which obviously we didn't really get a chance to talk about at the time because it was all buzz leading up to the release and everything that all the fallout after that and um, and whatnot never really got touched. So um, I knew I wanted to do it, but I knew I couldn't do it because I was way too close to it, which is when I started talking to Adrian and sort of went, you know, do we want to do a thing? Like this might this might be fun. And, you know, now we're here. Excellent. Well, I'm, I have no doubt that maybe some of my questions, uh, if they ever venture into sort of spoiler territory for the documentary, feel free to sort of decline to answer. But um, I wanted to talk about the the original release of the tunnel. Um, the original crowdfunding strategy was a bit of a stroke of genius and kind of unique at the time. And no doubt there's going to be some people that are listening or watching that um, don't know about that. Can you kind of just explain to our listeners sort of what you did to raise the cash for that film? Sure. I mean, it was a, a, a version of crowdfunding, I guess. And really what it breaks down to is we figured that, um, you know, at 25 frames per second, a 90-minute movie has 135,000 frames in it. And if we could sell off each frame for a dollar each, that we'd have 135 grand to go make a movie. That's That was basically the pitch, right? Um, but as part of, you know, having an audience and, and the internet kind of, fund our film um the other side of that was we felt like it, we wanted to give it back to the internet um as a thank you um not just to the people that funded it but to everybody um and so that yeah that's that's when it got kind of complicated <laughs> from a distribution point of view but i'm sure we'll get to that 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and generally, I think there's a, a relatability um, to, to the better found footage films. You know, I definitely was one of those kids that explored stormwater drains and sort of tunnels and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if you know, if this film had come along when I was a kid, it would have had that Jaws effect. There's no fucking way I would have gone into any of those. <laughs> did you and Carlos, the director, have? Um, did you draw any inspiration from your own experiences? You know, for telling this story. Actually, Jules was the the big underground kind of, you know, explorer dude. Um, Carlo is very much a um, uh, an adventurer, so he's very outdoorsy and stuff. So those two things kind of, I think, combined there. But for me, it was more that the, the found footage thing has always appealed to me because I just, I'm a sucker for that really kind of, ambiguous unexplained creepy stuff like I will, I will go down massive youtube rabbit holes watching the weirdest crap right like it's just um you know ghosts caught on camera and all that sort of uh crap and, and it's just i don't know there's something about a really well executed found footage type shot um that just i don't know it just puts puts the makes the hair stand up on on end right so from there really the story came out from Jules and I trying to work out uh, way before Carlo came on board just what we could do with the resources we had and what we had access to and our own skill set. How could we build something that we could go and make without, you know, have it like that we could fund on a credit card that is sort of sort of vibe. So, um, you know, the original ideas we started banding around like set in the outback in like gold rush towns and shit. Like it's just it's very different from what it became. Um, so yeah, uh, so I'm curious. Like, did after the film came out and you had the release that you had, were you approached by uh, big Hollywood producers who said, "Let's make like a la Blair Witch Project. Let's make the tunnel to the search for Tangles, where like Tangles family hires a bunch of mercenaries to go into the tunnels with machine guns to try and track him down and and wipe out and you know, and then because that would be a, I'd love to see that film. I mean, look, there is a script for a sequel, and I, I won't lie, that was that was a concept that was discussed at one point. <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious territory to go down. Um, to answer your question, I think this is one of the reasons that I, I, I wanted to tell the story that we didn't get to tell at the time. Um, you know, we've never really been able to make a sequel work up until now and I think it has to do in part with the way the original film was distributed um, and the stigma that came with that um, especially at the time in, in 2011 you know the, the whole online thing is a very very different situation now and I think with streamers being what they are now etc etc I think it would have been received very differently um, it's, so, it's but, so funny that you say that because I would have thought it was a stroke of genius like releasing it on BitTorrent because you've you funded the film. You didn't have any backers that you had to pay back or anything like that. Like you funded your film completely. Yeah. And then you've released it to the people en masse using BitTorrent, a platform that hadn't been used and has been used, I believe, since um, that way. But it like, it, you know, legally made it, made it available legally through a BitTorrent service. Yeah, it's just uh, it's the ultimate marketing gimmick. Like you got, you know, more eyeballs on it than you ever would have going through a traditional yeah. release. Hundred percent. I think we did the math on it about a, a year or so into um, post release that if 
we kind of averaged out, uh, I can't remember the number now that it was, um, the number of views and like a, a, a median box office kind of cinema ticket that it would be the same as like something like a 50 odd million dollar box office or something like that, right? Conservatively. So that's, a, the, the, I, I find that number useful just because people understand it in terms of scope and scale. Um, obviously, part of the even the anti-piracy argument of you know one download equaling one sale is a false equivalency so it's not it's not a hard and fast thing um look i agree with you i i think i was surprised at how much resistance we got to stuff but we did have conversations and you know uh, some of this is in the documentary where uh, we we had a, at least one sales agent offered us a a, a significantly sized check uh, to take the movie, or at least offered to be able to get us a significant, meaningful number of sales as volume of sales. But we had to pull the free release, um, right. and for a bunch of you know starving a couple of starving filmmakers who have just spent and you know sweat and bled everything that they've got to get to that point it's a really hard conversation to have to sort of go money uh following through versus following through on your promise so um and, and i think to speak to your 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 confusion about why we didn't get more traction in a traditional sense uh it's quite simple you know the optics around being associated with BitTorrent. It's just, it's a killer, right. right? That ended up being a killer. So, yeah, short story. I mean, <laughs> have, you found the, have, you, have you found oh, sorry, that the, um, <laughs> you go ahead. Sorry, ben, See, this is, this is why we never have you on it, Ben. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm not allowed to, to do it. I'm just gonna, I just wanted to say that for me, it just feels like the most effective marketing plan that I've ever heard of. Yeah, and it was. It was just that the, it was a few years too early, I think. I think if we'd done it, in a streaming era, it would have been a very different result. Yeah. Has the opportunity to sort of, you know, have another crack at getting the film out being presented to you? Um, I think it's difficult because most people are still quite traditionally minded, right? Right now it's still available. Obviously, when something's up on BitTorrent, you cannot take that down. Um, if you go to, you know, our little portal at Deadhouse TV, it's you can click play and stream it to your heart's delight. There's no 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 uh, no pay wall there. But I think that, you know, there's still a lot of people even in in 2021 that have a, an older way of thinking and the logic being that if it's available to people for free, then we're not going to give you money for us to give it to our people, even as a streaming service. And I'm like, look, I, you kind of can't argue too hard with that. Um, but my, my, my retort to that is what it was at the time and what, what all of our responses were at the time, which is just because it's available, say, on BitTorrent, like it's a really obscure, challenging, I don't know if you've ever used it. It's not, it's not like opening up a web page and clicking play. It's just not that simple. Mm -hmm. So that barrier is enough uh, in theory to go, well, people that would be watching films traditionally but maybe aren't that technically savvy, maybe it's different now, but 10 years ago certainly it was a solid argument to go, there's still people that will download it off iTunes or whatever. So, you know, th there's no real meaningful opportunity to get it out at this point, but I think that between the 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 whatever the documentary ends up doing um may open up that opportunity it may open up a conversation around a sequel 
or you know it may end up just being a really nice bit of closure for me having gone down this this project and through memory lane and and uh and, and be done with it so who knows yeah well i look i'm one of those people that that did purchase the dvd and the blu-ray and i do recall like as you mentioned the the, the blu-ray at least had quite a bit of additional documentary footage in there so what can fans of the film because it has got a cult following what can they expect from the documentary like does it go into the stuff you're talking about now it does yeah look um you know we we spoke to uh, a few people that we didn't have a chance to include in the original documentary because obviously to include it on the release that was all done post the film's actual release right so mm. there are some um some stories about uh, that we're able to go into now about just how uh, much resistance we got um even post release um and even in the week leading up to you know we had a whole bunch of uh uh, really promising signs and pre-orders for retailers and all of that sort of stuff. And it all just kind of exploded at the 11th hour in a really, really awful way. So, um, you know, there's, there's stuff like that that we were never able to talk about at the time um, that without throwing people under the bus even now, we're able to discuss with a little bit more of a level head all around. You know? <laughs> so, um, so there's that. But I think that equally of interest for or possibly even more uh, of more interest for um for fans of the film is that you know we really went back to a lot of that behind the scenes footage which yes some of it you will have seen before but there's a lot of really fun cool silly moments um from production that really uh really illustrate and I, even i look back at it now and just go yeah that was insane just really illustrate how uh, scrappy it was and how passionate everybody that was there was and it's just one of those magic moments where the recipe of all those people together um you know it's just it's just really it's, it's lightning in a bottle as Jules used to like to say uh, that's that's probably the best way I can sum it up so hopefully it, it's not you know it's not too dry with all of that other stuff in there but I think overall it pretty much it's it, every other story that um, I, I've been able or asked to tell about the funding or the production or the release of, of it sort of all wrapped up into one neat hour and a half package with voices from pretty much everybody, just about everybody that was involved. So, Yeah, right. And um, uh, the clock is catching up to us. So I just want to quickly ask before we run, um, and uh, Adrian Nugent, the director, it's, it's mm -hmm. his debut film, I believe. How did he get involved? So Adrian actually was someone who, um, back in the distracted media days, uh, was one of the first people that uh, Jules and I had on payroll. So I've known him for a while. He came in just post-tunnel and, um, you know, he, he, he's done some behind-the-scenes work for us on our other projects, like he did our behind-the-scenes clips on um, for Dead House Dark, our shutter show that came out this year. And, you know, it just, I don't know, it just kind of added up and, and made sense uh, to, to reach out to Adrian to, to get him on board. So, um, you know, and, and he's, done a, he's done a great job. And, and like I said, for me, I really needed to maintain some distance so it didn't just feel like an ego fluff project. That's not what I wanted it to be. Um, and, uh, and that distance with, with Adrian kind of driving it has, 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 I've been able to do that and he's done a great job of, of bringing out the stories that I think are worth telling, so... 
Awesome. Well, you know what? It's been bloody great chatting with you, mate. And the tunnel and the documentary, The Other Side of Darkness, they're both playing at Monster Fest on December the 5th. Uh, I believe, are you going to be there? Oh, I will be there, yeah. Unless something happens COVID-related and everything implodes again, I will absolutely be there. <laughs> and and Adrian will be there as well at the, at the documentary screening, so... Awesome. Well, I'll be there to bump elbows with you. And um, I'm really looking forward to the documentary. I haven't seen it yet. And um, everyone should get along. Tickets are on sale at the Monster Fest website. Um, and I, yeah, I encourage it. So thanks so much for your time, mate. Not at all, man. Pleasure. It, uh, it feels way too short. It would have been great to talk for longer. Thanks for having me on. Maybe we can revisit. Done. Deal. Welcome to, welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. You may wonder, why does Joe, where did James go? <laughs> James is gone. Uh, he, he, he apparently you, went, he, you told him to talk and he ran for it. He's like, I'm James, I can't talk. Now you may be wondering why James left when I started to sound like, you know, Marge's sister from the Simpsons. Well, anyway, I've lost my voice. I'm not really sick. I've just lost my voice. So we're going to be talking about found footage films, gentlemen. And I'll go first because I actually don't hate this genre. It's just like any other genre. There's a few good ones and a bunch of horse shit. Agreed. Correct. Agreed. I actually like paranormal activity. There's even one or two of the sequels that aren't bad. But the best to me, the granddaddy of them all, is, is Blair Witch. I mean, it's the movie we've talked about on here that, that affected me. I had dreams later. It uh, visceral effect. And I'd never seen anything quite like it. And it changed cinema quite a bit. And I don't know that those two directors get enough credit for it. No, I agree. Uh, and I, I had the same experience with Blair Witch Project. It definitely, I saw it. I saw it after all the hype, after everybody had been talking about it. So yeah. I kind of went in with some kind of expectation and I was not overly, I left the theater going, Oh, it was okay. I wasn't overly impressed. I think I watched I, it with my mom. Yeah. I watched it with some friends from high school, but when I woke up that in the middle of the night and saw, I saw somebody in my room in the corner and screamed and ran and hit my face into the door. I was like, damn, that was a good movie. <laughs> I, watched it, I watched it a few good cinema with my mom. And she had a nightmare that night, too. We both talked about that. She didn't quite get it. You know, she was older. She didn't hate it. But it's uh, it's definitely an effective film. And it's a, it's a terrific terror picture. I need to revisit it someday. Mm -hmm. Chad, you're up next. Uh, so other than Blair Witch, I want to talk about one that I really, really loved. And uh, it's Troll Hunter. Yeah, I like Troll Hunter. I That's absolutely love tro Troll Hunter. It's about a group of Norwegian film students set out to capture real-life trolls on camera. Um, and I loved every minute. I loved their take on the trolls. It was just, not only was it found footage, it was beautifully shot, which, in my opinion, sometimes... Found Blair Witch. Yeah, and that's something sometimes found footage films lack on. They rely too much on the footage aspect and not so much on the art of it and troll hunt in in my opinion the two films that get that the best are troll hunter and blair witch highly recommend troll hunter if you haven't seen it james what do you got you know i was thinking i, I wanted to bring one up because you tend if you will to see found footage used a lot in horror uh and and i know uh there's some people that have mixed feelings on this but i wanted to pick up pick out one that wasn't overly horror and actually ties more into 
the 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 big trend in in superhero films and and action adventure and that would be uh chronicle i'm glad you said it because i actually think chronicle is another one of those movies that didn't get its due right yeah uh, it's if you've never seen chronicle it's i mean it's found footage it's they they get exposed to something and they start to develop powers and then you know absolute power corrupts absolutely and people have to take a stand against other people in their group in fact i mean that's a very quick thing but that's the story of bonehead it uses yeah we're gonna have to team up and take me down i don't trust me me's not trustable anyway uh but it's and so it does a great job of looking at how you could use found footage and and i mean it's 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 just an interesting take on that uh, and it's it's a little bit outside the horror, and so horror horror is uh, is where you see a lot of found footage. Um, but it, it, it's a nice change from that. So not knocking found footage horror because it is very effective, but it is nice to see a change from that. So Chronicle was one that came to mind. This has been Bonehead Weekly Funsies. Oh, I finally said it. But Yay! Now we're all now we're we're all, now locked in. It is Funsies for life. Nope, now I've decided I don't like funsies. Oh, you jackass. Ben, my friend. <laughs> what Glenn. <laughs> what would an episode of Good Movie? You are my lover. <laughs> you are my friend. What, what would this show be without a reference to my, my hero, Albert Pune? It wouldn't be Good Movie Monday. That's what it would be. So my second recommendation is his 2005 film, Invasion which um, is also known in some places as Infection. And this is another really unique one, a film that I think is surprisingly effective. The entire film is shot from the dashboard camera of a police car. And the car is attending a call in the middle of like a national park. So the entire film takes place on a dirt road going through the bush. And that's terrible. Like who <laughs> who do the police get to beat in the middle of a, of a national well, park? Well, this is uh, this is taking place during a meteor shower, so something's happening, right. and you get like little flashes of light across the sky as it's going, and then weird things come from from the bush that have been affected by whatever it is that's landing. I will say this about uh, police car dash cams in movies: <laughs> they have the greatest fucking microphones known to man because they manage to pick up sound perfectly with no <laughs> shitty background noise or anything. It's almost as if it's not real. Well, you know, the greatest um, police dash cam found footage film has to be Naked Gun 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> they nab Shazak of War. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those Gen Zs won't get that. No. No. Okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> with only the headlights um, as the light for the film, this creepy dirt road and forest have all kinds of secrets. And the cop, as he's driving, comes across some really fucked up, creepy strangers that have been infected. And you don't really see the cop for most of the film because he's driving, but you hear him talking to the dispatch. And is the, it Bruce Willis? No, it's uh, <laughs> Scott Pullen, who is right. one of you know Albert's you know long term sort of collaborators. But the guy on the other end at the the cop shop is Don Opper from Critters. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's a nice little get. But um, yeah, this is... um, There's a fantastic moment. I've got to... Just when I mentioned his name, then it occurred to me where he does stop the car to get out because there's a distressed person on the road in the middle of nowhere. And then they have this little altercation and scuffle on the dash, on the on the hood. And then the, the cop gets slammed down. And when he comes back up, all in one shot, because this whole film is one shot, he's infected. So he's obviously done some sleight of hand to sort of, you know, put shit on his face. And when he comes up, he looks like this really grotesque figure. Yeah. 
really effective. I actually think it's, it's not Albert's best film, but it's definitely one of his most creative and effective ones. And the backstory for this one, which Albert's wife, Cynthia, told me this personally. Um, I had the privilege of being in the car with her in from the airport and she told me all about the making of this one. And they were apparently in between movies, sitting in a car, wondering what the hell they're going to do next. They pra- practically had no money you know, to invest in anything, but they just needed another film. And just Albert, out of you know, thin air, had a vision of the end of the world. And how do you tell that story cheap? And he just went, police car. And it was like a brain fart. And then yeah. within like a few weeks, they were shooting. You know, and it was shot in one night. They had five separate takes. And apparently it was the fifth take that they got right. And then therefore made their money back. And then some, because um, Lionsgate bought the film. Beautiful. Yeah. So anyway, it's a, you know, I always like to squeeze in some Albert Pune uh, references. So yeah. I thought, fuck it. I can actually relate to an entire film here. That is one of my favorite found footage films. And um, a few years ago, Albert released a quasi-sequel, which was called The Interrogation of Cheryl Cooper. And that was taking place after the events inside a police interrogation room. And that's all one take as well. Right. So the world does not end at the end of the film. Something's happening to the world and, and what that might be does flow into the second film. Right. Yeah. And uh, there are spoilers ahead and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, simple, effective, definitely in my top five found footage films. All right. Lovely. Um, now, before I hand it over to you, though, um, I mentioned um, the interrogation of Cheryl Cooper just then. Shane Ryan, this is a guy who I adore. He's a filmmaker from LA, um, completely brilliant. An indie filmmaker who subverts a lot of um, genres and is very controversial. But he made some found footage movies uh, called The Amateur Porn Star Killer. Yeah, I do remember Trilogy. you. I remember you having these. He made the first one for $45. And then DVD sales, he made you know, quite a lot off those and they became quite popular. Yeah, and, right. And then sort of, once again, they've been banned in all kinds of territories. So he's got this awful reputation for being an exploitative filmmaker. And it's it's awful. Like the movies are awful. Like what <laughs> the stuff that goes on in those movies is hideous. Because it does, I mean, they do, in the found footage phenomenon, I do think they, they do talk about how found footage crossed over into torture porn. Kind of very, but that very makes quickly. sense to me because if you're watching found footage from like a police point of view, it's going to be some of the most awful yeah. things you've ever seen. So that's what Shane kind of went with. Is like if the police found the tapes of serial killer rapist, what would they look like? What, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I just who did he get for forty five dollars? He's like, oh yeah, I'll do that for free. Oh, all of his films are made from whatever's in his pocket, and he did a great one that we screened um, at Muff a few years ago. Um, which was called A for Anonymous. My name is A for Anonymous, I think it was called. And um, that was all about a girl that goes through a very harrowing experience. But right. beautiful stuff. Very much like kids, is shot it? for maybe 100 bucks. Right, okay. Beautiful, beautiful and harrowing. Glenn all, Cochran. All of the above. My, my, <laughs> my quote might be on there. Anyway, I'm talking up my friends too much here. So <laughs> what have you got next? Uh, well, funnily enough, you put me onto this one because oh. uh, I was trying to find a found footage film that wasn't actually a horror film, just as something a bit different. Yes. Uh, and you mentioned Earth to Echo from 2014, which That's I right. did end up watching and I really, really liked. How good is it? It is great. Yeah. It's it's basically E.T. slash Mac and Me slash Batteries Not Included mm-hmm. as a found footage film. I'm so glad you went with it because it's been a long time since I've watched it. So I want you to rejig my memory because I'm probably going to watch it again this week. Uh, okay. Well, it's as I said, it's 2014, directed by Dave Green, who was uh, also responsible for the, uh, I think, the latest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, the second one. That's uh, right. But this, I think, I believe this was his first first feature. He'd made a bunch of shorts prior to this. Yep. Uh, and it's basically about these. It's and it's it's 
actually, it's probably it's like Goonies meets yeah. all those films. I it just is mentioned. not horror. Let's just it is, put that, that out it there. It's not horror. Yeah, yeah it's a family no. film. It is. Um, it's these three kind of kids, the three nerds, mm. um, who are. It's their kind of last day in their neighborhood because a highway is just they've the government have decided to put a highway right through their kind of suburb yep. and have bought all the houses using the eminent domain laws and kicked them all out. Yep. And so these three friends at one point um during the the kind of the last day all the phones start going nuts. And next thing you know they've got the people from the highway like knocking on doors going, "Hey, we've noticed there was this mm-hmm. kind of disturbance and with the phone, so we're willing to trade in your old phone for a new one if your phone got ruined. And it's very odd for highway construction workers to be doing this. And, yeah. uh, and the kid kind of says no. And this is all, he's a, the I can't remember the kid's names to be honest, but mm. the, the kind of, uh, one of the kids is like this amateur filmmaker. So he's filming everything. And yeah. that's where the kind of fan footage It's kind all of coming back in. to me, yeah. Um, but then one of the, like one of his friends, the nerdy, the nerdy one, mm. and they're all kind of nerds, but this one's like a real kind of a tech nerd. He um, figures out that the disturbances on the phone are actually like these map references. And so they head out into the dead. They, they tell all their parents that they're all staying at each other's places for the night to play a video game on their last That's night. That's right, yep. And then they head off into the middle of the kind of desert and to, to following the coordinates of this map. And then they find this kind of, it's like a piece of junk, mm. but it kind of comes to life and it, it Sucks out, I think it attaches itself to something in one of their kind of backpacks. Yeah. And they kind of realize that it's actually this kind of like, like smart computer type thing. And it gives them more, more kind of coordinates. And every time they go somewhere, it um, kind of zaps in parts. It, it, it inv- takes, evolves. It evolves, yeah, and grows. And then they realize it's like this little alien creature kind of thing. And they, it's all pretty cool. And they kind of, then they, the one of the popular girls from school kind of, like it tells her to go to her house yeah. and she gets involved. And everything's connected. Yep. Yeah. And it's all, they go to a pawn shop and like, yeah. they, they, you know, they end up in a strip club. Like yeah. they go on this kind of like massive kind of adventure and then they find, you know, then they find out, uh, I don't want to spoil it. No. I don't want to spoil the rest of it, but they, you know, it, it has like, it's kind of ET moments from there. It's on. got a good payoff and oh, so much of it came back when you were talking then. I just forgot about the adventure side of it. Yeah. It really is an adventure. So yeah. Good one, and it's got a great production story on that one. Yeah, because it was it was who was it Disney? Disney made it. Yeah, they well, it was rel- relativity relativity and someone else. But Disney originally but funded, funded the funded film it, yeah. and made it, and then whoever was in charge of Disney at the time saw the film and decided they didn't want to release it, so they shelved it, and then other companies then picked it up and. Well, yeah, yeah. One of the funny enough, one of the production companies, Relativity Media, had a distribution arm. They picked it up. Yeah. They bought all the rights, yeah. and they distributed it in the end. So definitely, you watch it. It has a Disney vibe to it, but I can yeah. also see why he wouldn't have wanted to release it under Disney because it's also kind of like different see yeah i mean i don't yeah i didn't really see that like for me it was definitely like the, the goonies and explorers and that kind of thing i would have thought it would have been a hundred percent like disney quality don't, don't get me wrong because i remember watching it thinking why would disney give this up this is it would yeah. have done so much better had they kept it right but it, i do actually i do kind of think that it is like i don't know what disney would have done with it because yeah. it's not it's not quote big enough yeah for a Disney film, but it's too good to See, go straight to video. We've both ebbed and flowed on that. Like, yeah. you know, we, we understand yet we don't. It's like, you know, e- either way, it's a discovery film. Like, if you can find yeah. this one, it's a really nice little surprise. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I think it is available on um, 
Google Play and uh, maybe Apple TV. I think it's I think it's on streaming. I don't know if we've got a DVD a My, physical release here. Probably do. I have it on oh, um, got the it, so. Region 4 release, but whether it's still available is another question. Yeah. Hello and happy Monday, friends. I'm Chloe from Movie Night with the Richie Girls, the podcast that went on hiatus for six weeks, nine months ago. And in all honesty, and with great embarrassment, this week I just couldn't come up with one found footage film that I'd seen. I couldn't pick anything for this week. So I enlisted the ever-helpful Glenn to come to my rescue, who then suggested I watch a movie called Project X. Boy, oh boy, what a treat that was. I went into this movie not knowing a thing about it, which is something I I never do. I'm an extensive researcher. But this week, I wanted a whole different experience. So let me tell you that it definitely delivers. It takes that ragtag, told-too-often story of a high school kid throwing a radio while his parents were out of town so he could become cool story, and it completely flips it on its head. We still have our three predictable protagonists, the main normal guy, the loudmouth nerd who thinks he's cooler than he actually is, and the slightly larger nerdy bloke who actually knows how to pull the ladies. This movie just gets so out of control so quickly, and it's just beautiful to watch. There are scenes that make you wish you were partying and reliving your younger days, and there's scenes as a parent and an official old person that make you squeam in your seat. The great thing about Project X is that it's edited so well that actually most of the movie does feel like it is found footage. Well, that and the fact that they just handed out a bunch of mobile phones and video recorders and got the 200 plus cast members to just start shooting. Brilliant. No, I have nothing against nudity in film and I understand that the audience that they were targeting here, but I am sort of a prude. <laughs> so what I don't personally like in a movie is unnecessary and excessive nudity. And by unnecessary, I mean 16 supposed high school girls just getting their tops off because a nerd in a sweater vest tells them to. And uh, by excessive, I mean them swimming and jumping in slow-mo for a majority of the movie. Now, okay, maybe I am a little bit more pretty than I thought. And that and the flamethrower really were the most unbelievable elements for me. Oh, yeah, there's a flamethrower. Are you hooked yet? But what I absolutely loved about this movie is that it seems to be a full, complete movie ripped off a real-life story from here in Australia. So you guys remember Colory Worthington, yeah? The bleach blonde, sunglass-wearing fucking moron who posted his address on MySpace and completely destroyed his street because so many people turned up? Yeah. They made a fucking movie about it. <laughs> Hashtag Australia Pride. The difference between these two that the guys in the movie would have definitely gotten convicted of the damage they did and Corey became an unwanted national icon. You know, I'm just so happy with this movie recommendation and I, you know, in fact, I think it will be a movie that my husband would stay awake through. So I will definitely be giving this one a rewatch very soon and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this take of a high school rager movie and how quickly it topped all other movies in that genre for me. Loved it. That's my pretty opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Have a happy Monday, friends. Should we talk about some of the bigger ones and the more obvious ones for a moment? And uh, I mean, the genre wouldn't be what it is without Blair Witch, obviously. Yeah. Do you remember how huge that was when it got released? I remember it being freaking massive. And it was also, I remember it was one of those ones where <laughs> people are like, that's real. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> it's real, man. But then, so... 
Yeah, that was the thing with Cannibal Holocaust too. Like well, they took those the movies, film to court. I remember, like now I don't buy any kind of thing like that. Like if, if they tell me it's fake, you just know it's not because we've been around the block. We know. But back yeah. then I remember like falling for it for a little bit and then you tell yourself, no, I can't, that can't be right. This can't be real. Yeah, so they prey on the gullible young minds that are but susceptible. Even, but did you, th- I remember thinking when I, even when I watched it, I'm like, they're just, at the end of the day, they're really just standing in a corner. You don't see anything else. Like, they're just like, <laughs> but it's still, a, I mean, I mean, it's no, freaky as fuck. Don't is. get me wrong. It is. You're, yeah, I know. But it is. <laughs> but when you kind of step back and think about it analytically, you're like, they go into the house and the person's standing in the corner. <laughs> but, like, is that, have they been naughty? <laughs> but it's, it's about what, what happens what next, happens the unseen. Next. Yeah. Um, but I mean, did those guys luck out or what? Like, seriously, the, the budget was estimated to be anywhere between $200,000 and $500,000. And then it took which, which ain't nothing. Five hundred million dollars is what it took. Yeah, right. Well, I remember here. I'm pretty sure Magna Pacific uh, distributed it. Yeah, and, and they were like a totally a budget label. I know they had no, you know, and the the thing was like they they made a freaking fortune off this, and then they went right back to, to budget. Like they weren't able to capitalize on it and turn themselves into like a madman size. Whereas I recall the release of it, I was in Canada at the time this got released on home video and it was VHS and they did like this fat double VHS because the second tape had the documentary, you know, all about yep. the Blue Witch, trying to, to capitalize on the real aspect of it, make it look like it was yep. real. So they made a mockumentary, which, you know, was stroke of genius and it was just so huge. I like to think of the mockumentary as being the... Uh the best friend of the fan footage, like they're yeah, like, yeah, totally. they're joined at the hip. Yeah, and that's where the docudrama comes into it, yeah. right? Um, which, you know, speaking of, there are some other ones that are pretty high in concept. Last Exorcism is an interesting one, which um, Eli Roth produced. Troll yep. Hunter. Troll Hunter, which is fantastic. Um, which the, the Boneheads just talked about, you know, before. Um, definitely a good one. Cloverfield, that's like, you know, that came along and kind of made the giant Hollywood blockbuster part of the found footage, you know, yep. genre. I really I, liked it. Yeah, so did I. I just wish they'd made that sequel they promised, you know, that was going to be the other camera. That moment yeah. at the bridge yeah. when the two cameras meet, the sequel's going to be that. And then the third one was going to be the same time frame from the military perspective as a Hollywood film. Yeah, right. And but then, then, like, there is 10 Cloverfield Lane is... is Related to it. Well, right? they have expanded the universe because then you got Cloverfield Paradox and and over was it Overlord was going to be one at one point in time and oh, really? got got changed along the way. Yeah, right. Um, Did they ever explain what what the Cloverfield part actually is? That the suburb they're in? I don't remember what the Cloverfield actually means. I think it's just one of those things where let's just throw a really random a word that doesn't exist type of thing and you know let that be what it is what it is yeah you know it's it's kind of like it may have a thing if I went back and watched it again like I haven't seen it since I saw it theatrically I don't remember any references to Cloverfield in it at all yeah but um uh, then of course you've got the Paranormal Activity movies which have just they were huge but before them I remember the first wreck which was like a huge the kind of undergroundy type one and then they the American remake Quarantine Mm. Uh, which was similarly fantastic. I actually really I like both of them, which is odd. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I like Wreck and Quarantine. Like usually the American remake, you like it loses something in the kind of when they've Hollywoodized it. But I actually think that uh, that Quarantine is really strong. And what I found interesting about Quarantine is it kind of uh, forged its own new timeline because then you had Quarantine Two, which was not a remake of Wreck Two. Yeah, you know, it was a whole new, whole direction, new thing. Yeah, which I kind of like that. And then, but th- and then you've got Wreck Three, which is <laughs> a whole different thing. Yeah, and Wreck Four, which goes back to the Wreck 
Rec and Rec Two it's, kind of universe. These are very fractured uh, universe, the Rec Quarantine universe. And there's no better segue. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing found footage films and my favorite found footage film would be Rec or short for record. Now this is a Spanish film with found footage, right? I understand that it is a really kind of constricting subgenre of film and you go, well, you know, do we really have a lot of latitude here? But this is the thing. Yes, it's found footage, but whose footage have we found? So you can really, you know, I guess, you know, you can do whatever you want with this. I mean, we've seen Cloverfield, we've had science fiction. I think though, the genre that works the best with this subgenre is horror. And the reason is, is that found footage is a fixed perspective, right? We are forced to watch things as they happen to the characters. The reason why I think that Wreck is such a good version of exactly what I'm talking about is, is that we've got a reporter who's hot on the scene and we've got a camera person and that's kind of it. So we feel like we're ambulance chasing. And so set in Barcelona, this film kind of sets us up and thinking, okay, like, is there some kind of like natural disaster going on in this building? And once inside, we realize that no, there's something a bit more akin to a zombie apocalypse and to you know um, a little mild spoiler here and then it actually you know morphs into another form of horror kind of the spiritual horror and so i think that this movie manages to escalate things in a way that is really kind of incredible um it has it's kind of well infamous i guess for me the thing that i remembered the most was that it employs a character actor that is you know, <laughs> physically so shocking and I, I really am firm on believing this I know that CGI is getting so good and it's so advanced but I truly believe that you know a really good cinephile our eye can tell I know what is a practical effect and a CGI effect almost instantaneously so when I was watching this film and I see this performer do what they're doing and when you check this film out after my recommendation you'll know exactly what I'm talking about it scared the bejesus out of me um, Rec was so successful that it launched kind of you know a franchise of films it was remade in America under the title Quarantine don't check that out just watch this one instead uh, I really really like Rec 2 as well I think that these two together like this one-two punch is one of the great you know kind of like horror double features that you can have in recent memory and so yeah so if you are up against found footage if your only experience to it has been the paranormal activity movies you know slap on some subtitles and check out Rec I think that you will be very pleasantly surprised a really scary movie you know, even even the asylum have exploited the found footage genre. I mean, you say that as if the asylum are above <laughs> that kind of thing. And you're like, asylum, like 100%, they would have been, we could make our cheap, shitty knockoffs even cheaper and even shittier. For those that haven't heard us talk about the asylum before, they are a company who pump out imitation movies. They are commonly known as mockbusters. Um, but yeah, they made the paranormal entity movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they did a sequel, um, which I quite enjoyed, that was called 8213 Gacy House, which was all about a group of people that, that spent a night in John Wayne Gacy's house. And he's like... The ghost of all the people in the floor. Oh, in the floor, right. Yeah. I, so it's not him. It's not the ghost of the clown. <laughs> the clown ghost. <laughs> um, has, then, has Leslie Nielsen done one? Have Like the Zucker Brothers? Well, yeah. Well, they've got the Wayne... Marlon Wayne's did the Haunted House movies, the two yeah, of right. those, which were a take on paranormal activity. Um <laughs> it's just a shame it doesn't star Leslie Nielsen because <laughs> that would have been that would have been fucking great. But when it like, comes, um, repossessed. When it comes to Marlon Wayans, I gave up on that guy a long time ago and his he, family. I was gonna say, like, I I like Keenan Ivory Wayans and I like Damon Wayans during his kind during of peak, their heyday, their heyday. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the the all of the 
the 12 other brothers have never really done it. And even like now it's Damon Jr. is doing stuff. I know. There's like, there's a lot of Waynes. <laughs> Too many Waynes. Waynes. It wanes on There's you. a lot of Waynes. Yes. <laughs> Though I do like the Lethal Weapon TV series, funnily <laughs> yeah. enough. If you were to make a found footage movie, what do you reckon it would be about? It would have something to do with <laughs> like me accidentally dropping a GoPro down the toilet after I'd taken a <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, journey down the journey pipes. Journey down the pipes. <laughs> and it would be horrific. No, it would be like Albert Pune's in, um, Invasion because as you're going down the pipes, it's all the, the things that you come across as you go, like yeah, the turds. But and... it would be like I would, I would open it with like the men in the refrigerator who turn the light on are real. And they also are the men who uh, do all the recording in the GoPros. So it's <laughs> yeah. like they're real. It's like inner space. It's like a one hour photo. <laughs> yeah, it's inner space meets flushed. Oh, this is a genius idea, mate. And imagine like, what do they call them? Um, what are those? Um, shitbergs? Yeah. Shitbergs you've got down the pipes? A fatberg. A fatberg. Yeah. fatberg. <laughs> imagine that. That's great. That's it. Yeah, it becomes like a rat king. Oh. All the fatbergs join together and, and develops consciousness. Oh. And if it was made in Melbourne, like the final act is Werribee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There are traces of COVID all over it. Like that's what it is. It's the COVID has given it a sense. Oh, you cross sentience. over with Kenny and you've got a great franchise. Yeah. Oh my goodness, yes. Like, and you'd, but you'd, the crossover with Kenny is like Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Deep Blue Sea. Like he's in there for the first five minutes and it's like, Flamigo! And then he just gets killed by the yep. shitberg. That would be amazing. <laughs> I guess your um, your web series, Video Hoarders, is kind of a found footage in and of itself, because you went places and found footage. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. But we do have to give credit to um to Ernest P. Worrell. <laughs> Did he create the found footage genre? His Hey Vern POV camera stuff. Yeah, right. Pioneering. That's found footage right there. Was that before Legend of Boggy, Boggy Creek? That was much long, much after. But I, so then know, he didn't really. If I can, nothing. if I can squeeze in some Albert Pune, I will squeeze, yeah. squeeze in some Ernest P. Some, Worrell. <laughs> And with that, uh, I reckon we're at the end of the show, Ben. This is where we whip back and thank all of our amazing Teamsters. Were you going to say something? No. Yeah, yeah, you were. Mm, I can't remember what it was. (laughs) Like the goldfish, my memory memory is gone. Well, yeah, you meet the goldfish in the second act of that film. Down the pipe. Yeah, down the pipe, yeah. It's (laughs) an undead, like zombie goldfish. (laughs) And then there's like a little alligator. Uh... Yeah, see, we're right in this as we go, mate. It's yeah. going to be amazing. This is what, like, this is how fucking, um, this is how Kevin Smith writes his films, right? On a podcast? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right, that's where the, the ideas come from. And somewhere we'll have to have a pussy troll in there. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> like a pussy troll accidentally gets flushed. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people put up their asses that could be down there. It could be down the toilet, yeah. Mm. Toolbox. <laughs> plunger. Mm. Anyway, should USB we, sticks. Should we thank the people that uh, that contribute to the show? Sure. <laughs> Gerbils. Thank you. That, that's no way to talk about Jared. <laughs> thank you to Jared, Guillermo, Chloe, Adam, Joe, Chad, and James. And of course, thank you to Tia, who helps us behind the scenes. And of course, thanks to Enzo Tedeschi. <laughs> thank you for dropping in for the chat, mate. Uh, get along to see the tunnel and the companion documentary, The Other Side of Darkness at Monster Fest. If you're able, it's wonderful stuff. Monsterfest.com.au slash uh, Australia for the program. Yes, and uh, Ben, that's it for us. I'll um I'll let you get home to make more of those videos for future filmmakers to find. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These are the most depressing spank films I've ever seen. 
Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show. And to sign off today, we're going to leave you with uh, a song called Pursuit of Happiness by King Cuddy, which is gloriously from the Project X soundtrack, which Chloe spoke about before. And I think it's it's probably my favourite part of the entire film when this song comes on. Definitely uh, maybe even my favourite found footage movie in retrospect. Yeah, right. Have a great one, everyone. See you next week. See you next week. Crush a bit, little bit, roll it up, take a hit, feeling lit, feeling like 2 a.m. summer night. I don't care, hand on the wheel, driving drunk, I'm doing my thing, rolling the mid beside and now, living my life, getting our dreams. I'ma do just what I want, looking ahead, no turning back. People told me slow my roll, I'm screaming out, fuck that, I'm screaming out, fuck that, I'm screaming out, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that, fuck that. You know about dreaming, dreaming You don't really know about nothing, nothing Tell me what you know about the night terrors every night 5 a.m. cold sweats waking up to the sky
Pursuit of happiness And I know everything is shining on